It was the best of times. It was the blast of times. You need to look after our friend Napoleon. Take him bowling or something. Face eggs. Total recall. two plastic hurricane glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we had to do the clink right close to the microphone. We're stirring our our pina coladas, homemade, Mm -hmm. with quaint little um, umbrella straws Mm -hmm. that I got from Amazon and that we are going to recycle safely and not dump in the ocean. Mm Mm-hmm. These are novelty straws, not straws we're going to use all the time, folks. This is just a little bit of a mental health purchase we've made. (laughs) Yep. Umbrella straws for our hurricane glasses. (laughs) So, Ilias, I have a question for you. Yep. If you could time travel in, say, a junkie phone booth. Yep. And you could go it to any time, but could only bring back one person, animal, or object that can fit inside this junky phone booth with you. What would you get? Bring to present day Edinburgh into this flat right now. Bold of you to assume I travel back in time, Shannon. Oh, I wasn't assuming that at all. You said bring. Oh, I said bring I said back, bring back here. Uh, I would. I would find myself in the future. Okay. And bring myself back mm-hmm. for fun. Because I think if all things go to plan, mm-hmm. I, I will become a, a cyborg okay. and live for centuries. Yes. So I'm going to go... So that's a thing slash person. I'm bringing a person and a thing back. Mm-hmm. Robot me. Robo Elise. Back in, back in time. Back in action. And she can go and run a bunch of errands for us because she will be a robot and cannot contract the coronavirus. That's true. Think about that. Yeah. Um, and she'll know what I want because mm-hmm. she's me. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, Robot Elise, um, I really want to go to Topshop, but it's a little bit too coronary in there right now. It's a bit busy on Princess Street. You've got the same body type as me, albeit metal. <laughs> I really want uh, you to try on these clothes that I found online. Mm-hmm. Send a picture of yourself wearing them, send it back to me. And then I'll say if you can buy it or not. And she'll be like, cool, I'll pay for it too because I'm a, quite a wealthy robot. Because I've lived a long time and I've, I've collected some boons from, um, from my travels around space. And... Um, and it's kind of like magic money that I can use in any time period because it's the future. And I'll be like, sick, just buy all of Topshop then. But you're assuming that um, she's going to buy stuff that fits over your human arms and not her chainsaw arm. Well, I would, if I have a time machine, I'm going to go back and try and encourage her not to get the chainsaw arm. But it does look very cool. Yeah, she can get it changed back afterwards. But... And this is me we're talking about. I'm just fetching myself. I'm just not getting a rando right. to, like, do the stuff. I feel like I can ask myself a favour. Yeah. And 
And not cause the robot cyborg uprising. No. Like, listen, Shannon, Whenever when I become a, a, a cyborg, I'm not going to be a cyborg supremacist. You're not going to lead the toasters in revolt? No, I'm not going to do that. You've heard me today complain on countless occasions about computers You're and gonna, how I don't like them right now. You're going to be the first to go in the robot uprising. I'm going to be I'm going to be a bit of a, a rebel. I'm just going to go and do my own thing. I'm just mm-hmm. going to just drift in space off my own adventures. Let's see. I see. What about you? I would go um fetch a baby velociraptor uh and raise it from infancy to obey my commands like a golden retriever. Profit. A sitcom <laughs> where I've done my thing with the robot and yeah. you've done your thing with the Velociraptor. Yeah. And we all have to share this tiny flat in Edinburgh during yeah. a pandemic. And in the finale, the robot and the Velociraptor take off together. Mm-hmm. And we have to be like, bye. Yeah. Nice knowing you. And I'll be like, well, I guess I'll not so bad for me because I'll get to experience all this in the future. Yeah. What's your goal with the Velociraptor? Sort of like a Jurassic Park situation, but a very, very small part. Right. Jurassic one dinosaur. Jurassic <laughs> lawn. <laughs> Jurassic, <laughs> the, yeah, the, the small cops of grass outside of our flat. Our common shared space. <laughs> I just put up a little fence. It's like getting a goat, really, but just a very, very dangerous dinosaur. How's the neighbor's cat going to react to that? Uh, either they will become friends, or the cat will understand what happens when the hunter becomes the hunted. Yeah. The cat will know how the magpies feel. (laughs) I don't think, for context, listeners, there's a cat- outside of our house, there is a cat, three magpies, and lots of squirrels. I don't think the cat even wants the magpies. The cat only watches them, but runs and chases with intent after the squirrels. I think that cat has murder in its heart. Selectively, (laughs) I think. I think we're going to go out one day to a massive shower of magpie feathers and we will know that the cat has finally achieved its ultimate goal. If the cat wanted a magpie, it would have a magpie. The cat, the magpie, especially the juvenile one, is just hopping around not doing much. The cat could get that if the cat so desired. It's not enough of a challenge yet. I don't think that's how cats think. (laughs) I think this cat is a serial killer. My cat at home kills indiscriminately. (laughs) By the way, I'm not endorsing having your cats go and kill things. Uh, Don't want to start any cat discourse. I'm allergic to cats, so I don't really have any skin in this game. Listen, Shannon, I know you didn't enjoy watching Cats With Me in the cinema this January. Yeah. But isn't it a bit far to say you're allergic to cats? You just oh. thought it was cursed. Well, what do you, how do you explain the hives after we got out of that film, eh? <laughs> yeah, it was like halfway through the song Memories and you're like wheezing. <laughs> Your throat was constricting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> During the Bust of a Jones song, you were like stabbing your leg with an EpiPen. <laughs> Even, the mere thought of cats alone is yep. enough to... That's why every time we've had an episode of Cursed or Blast where there's cats... You're like, huh. Every time. You get a rash. I think that I've made a lot of sacrifices for this podcast. And it's time the listeners knew about it. And we've had a lot of cat episodes, haven't we? We have. 
from from day one, Pinocchio. There was lots of cat action in that. Yeah. Stuart Little, cats and dogs. Cat in the hat. The cat in the hat. The worst of them. Yeah. Yes, worse than worse than cats. Cats sets a pretty high bar for good movies. So a lot of things are worse than cats. <laughs> Cinematic cats, the I'll best s- film ever made. I'll say that on record. An omen for twenty twenty. You know what's worse than cats? What? Indiana Jones. Correct me if I'm wrong. But did you not several days ago say, I've never seen Indiana Jones? I didn't say that. I've seen Indiana Jones. You must be thinking of someone else. (laughs) My thinking of Cyborg, at least? From the future. No, no, I've genuinely, and I'm not a cyborg. (laughs) Look, I have veins. I have seen Indiana Jones. Okay. You must have been talking to some some other poor soul who's not seen the masterpiece that is Um, the Indiana Jones films. Masterpiece. I haven't seen those movies since I was about five. No, me neither, actually. I can't really, like, recall the plot of them. The one I remember the most is the more recent one with, um, Shia LaBeouf. Yes! And the aliens at the end. <laughs> yeah! What was that? Crystal Skull? Yep. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what archaeologists think about Indiana Jones. It must be mixed, because he steals a lot of stuff. Yeah. Kind of makes him look cool, though. Yeah, he does have a good hat. Yeah. I think he also has a whip. Yes. He's afraid of snakes. He is afraid of snakes. He's good at ducking. Yeah. Dodging, dipping, ducking, and diving. (laughs) And that's the whole movie. It's just an obstacle course. Yeah, it's basically just a spin-off of Dodgeball. Mm Mm-hmm. Which we should watch for Cursed or Blessed. We we did watch a movie, actually, this week. And it wasn't Indiana Jones. (laughs) No. (laughs) Or Jurassic Park. didn't even contain any cats. No, not even one. <laughs> and we're ten minutes into the episode. <laughs> what did we watch this week, Elise? We watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. From the past times. Yeah. 89, I believe. With tiny baby Keanu Reeves. And some other guy. And some other guy whose name I don't remember. Alex? Maybe. Something. This is a timely episode, actually, for us, because there was a sequel to Bill and Ted, which we did not watch, um, but there is a third movie being made, or has already been made, and is coming out in a couple of months. Yes. It might have been stalled because of the Rona. Um, the, the advertising campaign is still going, so it must have been filmed pre-Rona. Oh, no, I mean the release. Oh, the release has stopped. They didn't hear about our podcast. They didn't time their tie-in marketing very well. Unlike the cartoon Mm Scooby-Doo, which landed as we did our Scooby-Doo episode. That's true. Because we are marketing gods. Yeah. I wanted to... I wanted to watch this for a while. It's one of those movies where I just didn't know what it was about. Like, I guessed it was about two guys having an excellent adventure... But it's a bit like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens in that. I know it has a day off. I have seen that movie, so I can't comment because we should watch it at some point. I haven't watched The Breakfast Club. I know it's about dancing people in detention. Yeah, I haven't watched The Breakfast Club either. So it's one of those like 80s movies where it's like, I know of it. Mm -hmm. But what of it? No idea. Mm -hmm. No clue. So I was kind of going into this uh, excited but nervous, because mm-hmm. it's like a teen romp from the 80s, and sometimes those are not good. That's true. See our episode 
on the headers. Yep. I hadn't seen this either. This was another one I'd been meaning to see for a while. I the, All I really knew was that the plot involved time travel. I didn't even know that. That's what I, I knew. Keanu Reeves was in it. I knew there was time travel, and that was kind of it. Yeah, I was similarly nervous going into this movie. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. I had a good time. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. It, it's absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. The the basic premise of this movie is that Bill and Ted are friends who have a garage band called Wild Stallions, with exactly as many Y's in both of those words <laughs> as you're picturing, and spend most of their time pretending to be in a garage band, but neither of them can actually play the guitar. Yeah. Uh, and not studying for their classes. And Which begs the question, what do they do? Yeah, they didn't bother <laughs> to learn to play the guitar. So their history teacher tells them if they don't get an A plus on their final oral reports the next day, they will flunk history and fail the grade. And yeah, fail the grade. Importantly, for Ted, 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 Ted yeah. is Keanu Reeves. Yeah, Ted this is has Keanu Reeves. grave consequences because his dad says if you. First of all, his dad says, if you fail the grade, I'm sending you to military school in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And as we know from this podcast, being threatened with military school is the most scary thing in the world. Yeah. See the Cat in the Hat episode where Conrad gets threatened by Alec Baldwin with the prospect of military school. And then it's never quite clear what the threshold for failure is for this father, because sometimes in the movie he's like, if you fail the grade, military school, or if you don't behave tonight, military school, mm-hmm. or I'm taking you to military school tomorrow. Before the assignment is due. Before the report is due. <laughs> yeah. During, during the, the end of the movie, as they're like trying to deliver their report, in, like, a big auditorium, which we'll get to later, they're, like, running to deliver their report and are actively being hindered by Ted's father, who is trying to shove him in a car and send him to military school at, like, 6 a.m. on a Wednesday (laughs) before the report that he needs to pass to avoid military school is even due. (laughs) Also, why is he going to military school in Alaska? And not just in California, where they are, where you have to assume there's lots of military schools. One would assume. Being a very populous state in the United States. Mm -hmm. Alaska just sounds bad. It's because he'd be separated from from his best friend, Bill. Bill. And herein lies the problem. Yes. So, the night before this report is due, Bill and Ted are trying to study and are not very good at it. And a, um... Okay. <laughs> I'll just pause right there. Yeah. This is in the time before Google. So, I think there's, like, a textbook they're looking at and they're trying to get facts about... The assignment is, what would certain historical figures have been assigned say about uh, their town in California in the present? What would their opinion be? Um... So they're, like, looking something up in the textbook, but then their strategy changes to, let's go to public places in town and ask passers-by. So they go to, like, a gas station, and then a woman walks past, and they're like, excuse me, miss. <laughs> when did uh, Genghis Khan invade Mongolia, or whatever, and she, or Attila the Hunter, someone, and she it's was Genghis like, Khan. Genghis Khan, she was like, 
I don't know, I just work here. <laughs> and it's like, that's their strategy. It's really sweet that they're like, the way that we can study yeah. for this test, to, and they, they have to get like an A plus on this to not fail the grade. Yeah. It's just to, to park ourselves in like well-trafficked areas at nighttime in our town and ask people if they know random facts about like historical <laughs> figures. Yeah. They're like sitting on the curb at this gas station um, convenience store and a phone booth appears in front of them. Like uh, the type you can sometimes still find in, in the States or Canada, like sort of a red and plexiglass. Mm. And I think George Carlin walks in. Yeah, it is George Carlin. Dressed like the Terminator. <laughs> And tells them that he's brought them this time machine <laughs> because they have to get an A plus on their history test because yeah. if they're not separated or if they're separated by Ted being sent to military school, the future is in grave danger. And he doesn't even say like if there's really danger or what the danger is. But what's important to him and society at that time is that they've built a utopian, we assume, mm -hmm. society built around the music of Wild Stallions, their yeah. band. And, um, their, their society's motto is be excellent to everyone. Be excellent to each other. It, yes, and it. party on, dude. Yeah. So, like, they, they are fundamental to the building of this society. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's like grave danger or just that this cult-like society around them doesn't get made. But anyway, that is the that that's the the overarching stakes of this. Yeah. And they're just like, "Whoa, dude, that is most crazy." <laughs> I I thought I would find Bill and Ted irritating at the beginning. But they're quite endearing. They're very sweet. <laughs> they're both. They're very sweet, and the t like. I like Bill's turn of phrase. Is like that is most heinous. Yeah, this is most not triumphant. <laughs> uh, so they react in like not in the way I'd react if someone from the future was like Elise. You must get your act together, else we're not going to build a society around you. I'd be like. Uh, tell me exactly how the society is structured. Mm. So I need to think about this. Yeah. Maybe I want this to be derailed. Yeah. Do I become an evil megalomaniac dictator? What's the implications of this for me and for the future of society? Bill and Ted are simple, simple men. They're not thinking any of these things. <laughs> no. They're not, no thoughts head empty. Yeah, the whole last movie. <laughs> Um, another time machine parks up while they're having this conversation and it has both Bill and Ted. They they run out and they greet the past versions of themselves and they're like, hey, we've just had a crazy day. Have a good time with this here time machine. Listen to this guy Rufus. He's legit. And uh, Ted tells Ted to like have a good time meeting the princesses, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, tells him to reset his watch. Yeah, remember to wind your watch, which is a a very phrase from the past. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Although, yeah, that's true. I guess I've had some clunky-ass watches. They get in the, the time machine and 
there's like a big phone book on a chain in there and it's got like the phone numbers basically for all these different time periods so they go and like dial the wild west and go meet billy the kid let's talk about the time machine though first oh okay yes go ahead super original never before <laughs> thought of to have like a phone a phone machine a phone booth as a time as machine. a time machine that they just and it goes through these like wormhole looking vortexes in mm-hmm. time and space because mm-hmm. it does travel through time and space it does so that's interesting and very novel mm-hmm. and even in the 80s you know people would never have thought of that as mm-hmm. a as a concept for anyone listening to this who's not a fucking nerd <laughs> well slash anyone in the uk yeah don't don't dunk the general society of the united kingdom into your nerdery hey listen i know what you're talking about <laughs> Elise is offended on behalf of Doctor Who, um, another time travel show uh, where the time machine is a blue police box, which is like an emergency phone. Yeah. Have you seen those around Edinburgh? I have. Yeah, they're fun, aren't they? Yeah. They're heavily heavily vandalized. Heavily vandalized and don't seem to have phones in them anymore. Oh yeah, they're completely defunct. They just seem to be around... Yeah. But that was interesting to be like, oh, this is a real thing. I've never never seen one of those before. It is, the the phone booth of, of Bill and Ted is a North American looking phone booth. It doesn't look like the TARDIS Doctor Who's time machine. Uh-huh. It, um, just, um, apart from that it's a box. But it is in the fact same a phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, um... It's not bigger on the inside. Yeah, it's not bigger on the inside, so it's not, like, secretly a spaceship. Like, they literally just walk in and, like, dial the phone to pick where they're going, which I think is quite charming. Yeah, there's no anxiety about, am I time-traveling correctly? What are the ramifications of meddling with time? Are we going to get stuck in time and space by incorrectly using this box? Nope. Nope. They're like, let's go to the Wild West in the past. Yep. And they just wander around, go up to a bar, order beer, and get excited that they weren't carded. <laughs> um, and then end up in a poker game with Billy the Kid, who they form an alliance with. Like, instantly. Yeah. Billy the Kid is like, well, they, they help him escape, and they yeah. escape through the time machine. And then we just have to assume that Billy the Kid is now up to speed on what they're doing and why. Yeah. And is like, <laughs> sick. Because they immediately go to ancient Greece, <laughs> where Socrates is doing a, a demonstration about the concept mm. of, of time and the passage of time, and they meet Socrates and call him so so great. <laughs> and um, they're like jump him, and they like grab him and like take him back into the time machine, and that's how they they basically just pick people up. Yeah, by doing that, and Billy the Kid is on board, and like it helps them do that particular kidnapping. And Socrates is immediately on board as well, and then becomes friends with Billy the Kid. Yeah, like, they're like bros the whole time. <laughs> the next place they go is medieval England. Yeah, and they're they're like. Billy, Socrates, stay here and guard the time machine. And the two of them just start playing catch in the background yeah. of the scene. <laughs> oh, we did miss someone. When um they first time oh, travel yeah. with, I think they're still with George Rufus. Carlin yeah. at this point. Yeah, Rufus. Um, 
they go to the Napoleonic Wars and then travel back to the present but accidentally bring Napoleon with them. Um, and he's kind of, like, set loose, and they're like, oh no, what do we do with Napoleon? And they, like, give him to Ted's little brother, who's maybe, like, 12. <laughs> yeah. And are like, you need to look after our friend Napoleon. Take him bowling or something. Yeah. <laughs> so during this time, when the other two are off, like, just collecting people from history, Napoleon, confused but going, he, props to him, he's going with it. Yeah. Is with these kids, he's at a kid's birthday party sort of thing, and he yeah. eats his Sunday and wins a prize. They go bowling, and he gets into a rage at bowling, mm-hmm. and then gets kicked out, and then gets ditched by the kid, because they're like, ah, oh, this guy's embarrassing. <laughs> then he goes to a water park. He loves the water park. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. And I don't want to have to say that about, about Napoleon, but that's what this movie is doing. Medieval England. Yeah, Medieval England. Um, this is where they meet the princesses. Yes. Who are about to be married off to... Two ugly dudes. Medieval ugly dudes, bro. (laughs) We can't... We will save you, historical babes. (laughs) (laughs) But then they, they get captured and are about to be executed for witchcraft. Yes. And other mysterious crimes. But Billy the Kid and Socrates throw off the executioner's robes because they were pretending to be the executioners and they all <laughs> ride away together in the, the, the time machine and go to... God, where do they go after that? I know who they collect, but I don't know which order so that they collect After before. that, it's a bit of a, like, montage of them going places. They collect Joan of Arc. Yeah, so they... But after this point, because the first couple of times they were, like, talking to people and, like, going around the place. But after this, they, like, arrive somewhere and they'll be like, that's Beethoven. Grab him. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll just snatch him. <laughs> and whoever they've just kidnapped is, like, then in on the game. Yeah. It's like... Oh, they have Joan of Arc. She'll help them kidnap Genghis Khan. Yeah. They, yeah, they get Freud. Yeah. And they get Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. And Beethoven. Yeah. And... Is that everyone? That might be everyone. Yeah. Because, okay, this at this point the time machine is slightly damaged. It gets damaged in the medieval England part and they can't get back to present day San Dimas. So... They end up, it's Beethoven they see first, because they're like, is that Beethoven? And Bill just goes, extra credit, dude. And then that's when they're like, grab him. And they just start, like, picking up random people wherever the time machine spits them out. Um. <laughs> also, as as we've mentioned, this is not the TARDIS. It's not bigger on the inside. It's literally just a phone booth. So everyone's like crammed in there like sardines. It's yeah. very funny. And yeah. everyone's getting along. Yeah, they're all friends now. <laughs> they finally make it back to San Dimas and they just kind of like let everyone go at the mall. They're like, enjoy yourselves. Because everyone needs to experience San Dimas. And I think this is my favorite like segment in... The movie, because it's a fairly long scene, a montage of what everyone from history is doing in the mall. They've all got buddies. Bill and Ted have paired them off. 
Some of them are, are trying out photo booths. Genghis Khan is at the sporting goods store learning how to skateboard. Mm-hmm. Billy the Kid and Socrates are hanging out in the food court and they're trying to pick up women. Yeah. Um, Joan of Arc is watching a jazzercise thing. Yep. <laughs> Beethoven is in the music store playing, uh, you know those keyboards you get that, that can turn into synthesizers? He's playing like four of those at once. And, and I'm mentioning this because it's important, I think. He's bringing in business. He draws a crowd. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's trying to sell him the uh, pianos, the keyboards, is not against what's happening. Yeah. Joan of Arc is watching a jazzercise event take, take place and decides to push the woman who's leading it off the stage and do it herself. So she's leading this, like, frenetic <laughs> jazzercise thing. Abraham Lincoln's getting his photo taken, um, and then tries to get up and walk away, and the guy's like, I need the fake hat and beard back, which is very funny, given that he did not hand those to him in the first place. He definitely (laughs) walked in wearing them, and they get into a fight. Um, and then Paul Blart Mall Cop shows up, but yes, Mall Cops, an interesting concept, and they, they come out in force, but the Mall Cops... They they come after all the historical figures in this. Even and, Beethoven. And I don't think they're all doing bad things. Yeah, well, Joan of Arc does assault a woman, so, like, I feel that that's a bad situation. But, um, and Genghis Khan is... He's just, like, testing sporting goods, but I guess he does... Aggressively, no, no, Shannon. he's got something in his hand that he, like, throws He's got a baseball someone. bat and he's whacking a mannequin apart. A mannequin, yeah. Throwing stuff around. It's, he's creating quite a dangerous situation, actually. Yeah, he is. But Beethoven... I forgot he took the baseball bat. Beethoven is bringing in custom for the, the keyboard shop. People yeah. are coming in, they're very excited to see him using, like three pianos at once with multiple levels and synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And then they drag him off and it's like, what did Beethoven do? Yeah, it's the, sort of the same with Abraham Lincoln, who's just like, gets his photo taken and then leaves. And the guy's like, you stole my fake beard and hat, which is a very silly thing to say. Yeah. For someone you at no point handed a fake beard and hat to. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how Billy the Kid and, and Socrates end up. Yeah, why does Freud get arrested? In the really quite large mall prison they seem to have. <laughs> also, okay, I get... If people are thinking, oh, well... So, right, okay, if the mall cops are thinking there's a bunch of people dressed as historical figures mm-hmm. and some of them are doing some quite dangerous things, let's arrest the whole group. They might be thinking that. But does Freud really look like he's that much from the past? He looks like any humanities professor. Yeah, he does. He looks like about three profs I had in undergrad. Yeah. I don't remember what Freud was doing that they got him for. So they can't have been arresting him because he was obviously part of that group. Yeah. But yeah, they take them to mall prison, and there's, like, enough cells for all of them. (laughs) Mall prison where uh, Ted's dad works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he does work there. What is he doing there? He's a mall cop. But he's not, though. He's, like, he's not wearing the same uniform. He's just wearing a suit. <laughs> Why is he there? I think he might be a cop. Oh, maybe. I didn't really get any indication of what his role is in that, like, very large mall cop office. 
he's 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 there. So they're interviewing all of the uh, historical figures, and, and Freud is trying to psychoanalyze the uh, guy he's talking to, and I guess it's kind of funny. But that's what's I guess the main action of this bit is um, Bill and Ted have been trying to reconnect with Napoleon because mm-hmm. they the, the the little brother has ditched him, and they're like, "Can't believe you've ditched Napoleon." Then they figure out where he's gone because the um, the water park in town is called Waterloo. <laughs> Which is a very funny name for a water park. <laughs> and we have like a whole like five minute bit where Napoleon is like first nervous about the slide and then he loves it. There's like a whole, we see like several like shaky cams of him going down slides and pushing mm-hmm. kids out the way and yeah. splashing around. Yeah. Yeah, and then Bill and Ted just, like, show up and snatch him. (laughs) (laughs) But they have to bust all the historical figures out of prison now. Because it's nearly time for them to deliver the report. Yeah. Yeah, but as they're doing this, Ted's father is after him. And is like, it's time for military school. It's like, first of all, Dad, give me time to do the report. Yeah. I've not failed yet. Yeah. (laughs) Second, aren't you at work? Or is he? Like, does he work there? Or is he just following Ted around? He's also lost the keys to his car, so he didn't drive there. Yeah. Because there's a bit of time travel shenanigans with Ted getting the keys back. Yes. Like, leaving them for himself in the past behind a sign and then returning them to his father. Yeah, that was a very convenient bit of plot. They're like, we need to, like, get the keys Oh, we'll just leave our keys there in the future for, for ourselves. Ah, uh, yes, here are the keys. And then they just go and release everyone, and that's... It's very simple. What's ve- what's funny to me about the car keys plot is that it comes up a bunch of times, but ultimately doesn't really go anywhere. Like, Ted's father keeps talking about the car keys being missing in the early part of the movie. And then they're like, we gotta give... Ted's dad his car keys back for reasons that I don't understand why they're so concerned about this. And then Ted does give him the car keys back and it changes nothing. Yeah. It doesn't change whether or not Ted is going to military school. His father barely seems to process that he's had the car keys returned to him. And we know that they must travel in time to put the keys there in the first place. We just don't see them do that. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of at the end of the film thinking, are we going to see that? Or is there more plot? Because it's quite a short movie. Is there going to be more plot where they've like created an unstable time loop because they forgot to do that? Or like, but no, they just don't show it. We just, you know, yeah, that's that. That's it. That's a lot it. of hoopla about the keys. Also a lot of hoopla about the, um, the watch being wound back. Well, that really comes to nothing. It just means they've got slightly less time to prepare the report. Yeah. It's not really altering time travel. The report which they also get from their future selves. Yeah. Now, when a teacher says your final assignment is a report, what springs to my mind is an essay. Mm-hmm. Well, he said an oral report. Mm-hmm. Which I, no one calls presentations. I think a presentation is different than an oral report. Explain. I think, uh, like, a presentation you'd have, like, props or a slideshow or something an oral report you just have paper and would like either recite or read off of it i've never heard that before 
I either either hear like speech or talk or presentation. In like elementary school, high school, you might give like an oral report. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Their assignment for the end of the year is to do a massive giant presentation. Mm -hmm. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, it's a presentation about uh, what historical figures would think of Sandinas in front of like hundreds of other students in the auditorium. Yeah. That's a strange exam. That's yeah. a strange final assessment. It is very strange. Like, definitely more students than are in that history class. Because we see the class at the beginning of the movie, and there's like 30 students in it. It and seems then, to be like the whole year group. Yeah, they're just like all in this massive um, theater, basically, <laughs> for this final assignment. Bill and Ted are a little bit late, and then the teacher's like, oh gonna have to fail them and then their parents show up yeah and i guess ted's dad clearly has nothing else on yeah <laughs> ted's dad is still chasing him to snatch him for military school <laughs> the date at which he's going keeps changing because yeah. it starts with oh he's gonna enroll me in military school if i don't pass this assignment and then like an hour later in film time ted's like He's already enrolled me in military school. <laughs> and then an hour after that, he's like, my dad says the he's booked my flight. And then an hour after that, he's like, we're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> like, it just keeps changing. He only has, like, two conversations with his father, so I'm very confused about the moving goalposts. And then by the end of the movie, his father is trying to, like, grab him and throw him in a car. It's just confusing. <laughs> Why does his dad want him to go to military school so much? Like, because in, in Cat in a Hat, Alec Baldwin wants Conrad to go to military school, A, primarily, to get him out of the way so mm-hmm. he can spend more quality time with, mm-hmm. um, with his mum. And B... For discipline. Mm -hmm. He thinks Conrad's naughty and wants the military to um, uh, invite fear into his soul. (laughs) Which does seem to be what Ted's father is is wanting. A bit. Although Ted's not badly behaved, he's just not very ambitious. So maybe the dad wants... Like to put his son on like what he considers the straight and narrow. It's like a career, you're in it, you don't have to be good at history to be in the military. And I would disagree. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. I think if you're getting into the military, you need to have a long think about history. Mm. Personally. But that's just my opinion. But it seems very random. It is very strange. It's one of those like generic teen movie threats that I think they got sort of halfway through writing this movie and were like, oh, we need someone to chase them at the end to make the scene more exciting. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, Ted's father, even though that just doesn't make any sense based on Ted's father's motivations. (laughs) I also like how it's really just Ted with the threat. Bill, the threat for him is that he would lose his friend to military school in Alaska. Yeah. Nothing else will change about Bill's life. His... Dad and dad's new girlfriend don't really care yeah. about uh, Bill's prospects. No, they don't really mention it at any point. So so it seems uh, unequally, the stakes are unequally uh, high for the two of them. Yeah, yeah. They finally <laughs> give their presentation and it's like this massive light show and it's very long. There's a montage. The students must be there for hours. 
A bunch of them hold up <laughs> lighters like they're at a concert. They have all the historical figures each standing on a podium with, like, a spotlight shining down on them. Yeah. And they stood perfectly still until it's their turn to, to talk and present on his... And, and you can it proves that Bill and Ted have learned about history because they introduce mm-hmm. um, each person. Yeah. Bill admits to having an, an Oedipal... Oedipal? Yeah, an Oedipal complex, which I think is quite funny. And, uh, yeah, then the historical figure does, like, a little monologue and teaches the kids some stuff. Uh, Beethoven plays some music. Yeah. They're all being real bros about it. Yeah. Um, they do some sword fighting with Joan of Arc. They play Mm -hmm. chess with Napoleon. Yep. Um, I think it's funny because the, the movie goes out of its way to show that, like, Socrates, Napoleon, um, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, like, almost none of them speak English. Yeah. And they just kind of gloss over that for the presentation (laughs) bit. (laughs) <laughs> the ones that can speak English are shown to like do a lot of sort of like helping and herding of people. Yeah, it, like Freud helps sometimes, and and Billy the Kid, and Billy the Billy the Kid is the MC of the whole thing. Yeah, uh, which is which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Billy the Kid is my favorite. Yeah, of them. Who is one of the historical figures? He just gets with a lasso at one point. I think it might be Freud. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, everyone goes wild for this oral report of sorts. And uh, the teacher's like, well, I can't not give that an A+. Plus. Yeah. Well done, Bill and Ted. Pulling <laughs> this off. Okay, what does the teacher think happened? <laughs> From, like, the day before, they know nothing about any of these people. Um, and then suddenly they're like, so if I was a teacher, I'd be like, I guess they've hired a bunch of actors. Yeah. Given them a script or hired people who know about these historical figures. But this is, it's, uh, it's a lot of effort has gone into this whole thing. Hired some, like, local tour guides or costume performers or something. But also people with legit skills. You've got for Beethoven, you can't just get a rando. You've got to get someone who's very good at piano. Mm-hmm. You've got to get... The Joan of Arc person's got to be good at sword fighting. I think everyone else you can kind of like, you can kind of wing it. Yeah. And get them to say stuff that the historical figures in question have said, but I don't know. What does a teacher think happened? Also, imagine being a kid during the, like, yeah. in the auditorium. <laughs> it's like these, like, metalhead teens from your class who don't know much about history and it's obvious. Yeah. Suddenly do this report. Everyone's having a whale of a time. I would have loved that if yeah. that had happened at my school. Mm-hmm. One time at my school, we were doing about witch trials. Yeah. And we had to um, do a lot of role play with mm-hmm. that. So we were split into, like, witches and, and witch finders. Mm-hmm. And we did little trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my l- uh, favourite trick when I was a, a witch hunter mm-hmm. or on the witch court was to get the witch a random school kid from my class to recite the lord's prayer shannon i did not go to a religious school it wasn't a church school i know you went to catholic school no one at my school apart from maybe like five kids out of 800 would know the lord's prayer i caught so many fucking witches 
That would never work at my school. And then we did a bit of a switcheroo. So when someone asked me, like, in return, you do the Lord's Prayer, I was like, Our Father who art in heaven, <laughs> hallowed be thy name. I can't remember the rest. But at the time, I had it pegged down. And I got away with it. I did not get done for being a witch. And here's the thing, I was one. Mm. But I was a witch. You'll never know now. No. One of my proudest moments in school that I loved it when school had like random role play elements. There was uh, in primary school we had like a project for we were, I don't know we were talking about conservation, and we had to role play as scientists at a research station in the Himalayas who were studying various things, but some were studying snow leopards. Mm-hmm. And the teacher had made it very clear that we weren't all snow leopard scientists. Um, some people were cooks, mm-hmm. some people were, like, liaison people with the nearby town, some people were logistics people or drivers, only a few people were scientists, and an even smaller subset of those people were actual snow leopard scientists, and mm-hmm. the teacher was like, you, it's very rare to see a snow leopard. We had to watch a bit of a documentary where it was, like, explained how rare it was. Mm-hmm. I was... Uh, I think I was a geologist. I was mm-hmm. a, a friend, and we were both geologists. And over this course, of, the course of the week, this role play, everyone saw at least five snow leopards, <laughs> <laughs> and they'd make up crazy things. Like me and the other geologist were like, "Oh yeah, well, we went into a cave today in the mountains when we were trying to find some rocks, and uh, we saw in the cave a bunch of snow leopard skins." like hundreds of snow leopard skins and then there was a guy nearby who said that there were poachers and that we had to help the townspeople stop the snow leopards being poached and my teacher was like fucking hell and then this girl Stephanie was like um she was the cook and she was like okay here's my report for the day as the chef of the research station I was cooking a pie a lovely sweet berry pie but it was too hot, so I put it on the window on the window ledge, and I, the window was open, and I thought it would cool down because we're in the Himalayas and it's cold out. So then I went into another room to fetch something, and I came back, and there was a snow leopard eating the pie. It's mm. like <laughs> the snow leopards were like what squirrels are like, <laughs> where they just like just at Green College where we lived last year they would just come into your room and like eat your sandwiches and yeah, stuff or like yeah. steal food Yeah. except it was snow leopards in the Himalayas <laughs> and the teacher was like you have each of you have deliberately <laughs> messed up my orders and I think everyone wants to be the person to see the snow leopard where in real life you wouldn't have seen one Yeah. even the people who were studying them may not have seen yeah. them you would see them on camera traps and that's it I think it would be really funny if, in a real-life situation, the only person who had saw it, uh, the snow leopard was the cook for the pie reason. <laughs> <laughs> for that exact reason. You know, like, well, this is awkward. Maybe I just won't tell the scientists. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Snow leopards just really like pie. Well, the, the time that I... My, my best wildlife sighting when I was in, in, in the field... Uh, in Ellesmere Island two years ago. We hadn't seen any bears or anything. It was like a fairly wildlife-free summer. Um, But I was really wanting to see an Arctic fox because I think they're just neat. And uh, I saw one like a meter away from me once when I was 
going to take some like dry food around the side of the building just to dry out even more before we burnt it because we can't dispose of it easily. So as I was like going there, there was a fox just like stood there like chewing on a grapefruit peel that we'd left outside. And I was like, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> this is an Arctic fox. And uh, then I befriended the fox mm-hmm. um, by treating it like a cat, <laughs> approaching it as you would a cat and giving it the right sort of like half eye open eye contact. Mm-hmm. It's a whisk- cat, cat and I guess fox whispering. But that was kind of like the uh, real life equivalent of the pie story. Yeah. Except yeah. foxes are much more social than snow leopards. <laughs> That bit was just to express my my love of the um, offbeat, uh, unconventional type of school assessment Mm. that we find in this film. Yeah, and you know, credit to the the teachers they they gave they gave a a passing grade where it was due. Yeah, all of the all of the historical figures get herded back into the time machine on stage. Somehow (laughs) they all fit inside it. And presumably they get dropped off. We don't ever see them after that point. Once the plot is kind of resolved, we see them back in the uh, garage again, messing around with their guitars. And they're like, oh, it's weird now that we're just back to our regular life after time traveling. But then Rufus shows up again. Mm -hmm. And with him, two futuristic guitars. Mm -hmm. He's also, and I find this wild, brought back the two princesses from the medieval England. Yeah. Um, has taken them to the mall so they can pick out 80s clothes. Yeah. And is like, I saved them from the uh, ugly dudes they were going to marry in the medieval times. Mm-hmm. And they can be your girlfriends now. And they're like, excellent. And then the the two girls join the band, one on the keyboard and one on the drums. <laughs> and Bill and Ted are like, we're going to learn to play guitar. And that's kind of where the movie ends. Yeah. That, and that that's the wild stallions, the four of them. And these princesses are very happy to be brought to the 80s. Yeah. California. Mm-hmm. They need vaccinations quick. Yes, they do. Because they're not exposed to most things. Mm-hmm. So they need to... But they will be pleasantly surprised to if they get the plague, mm-hmm. which they might do if they go out hiking in California, because that's one of the places where the plague is. That's true. Is it? Yeah, you can get. Yeah, there's, there's always stories about people like going on the west coast of the states getting the plague. What? It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Bubonic plague, United States. I'm just. I'm gonna Google it. Not because I don't trust you. You have a look in your eye like you don't trust me. But sometimes you you fabricate things. No, I don't. <laughs> and never on this podcast. <laughs> Only truths happen here. United States. Um, Why would I lie about the plague? It's very serious. The last urban plague ep- ep- epidemic in the United States was in Los Angeles from 1924 to 1925. I'm talking about epidemics. I'm talking about uh, the occasional, the occasional people getting got by by plague fleas. In recent decades, an average of seven human plague cases have been reported each year, one to seventeen cases per year in people of all ages. But you can definitely easily survive the plague now. Which is why I'm saying if the princesses go hiking and get the plague, they might be like, oh, well, it's death for me. And then um, 
they'll go to hospital and, and, and be fine. Wow. Although I guess they need to be registered as civilians. How do they do that? I guess Rufus might sort something out for them. But this is the state, so... Can the princesses... Do they have health insurance? Do they have ID? I hope Rufus sorted this out for them yeah, as well as taking social them insurance more. numbers? <laughs> Birth certificates? Anything? <laughs> Maybe they have one of those, like, what they... Um, you know, in the in Doctor Who, the Doctor has like that secret paper, psychic paper, psychic paper, or it's like a blank piece of paper, and he just says something, and that's what the other person sees on it. That's a very good, very good, good invention. Yeah, maybe they've got that. Yeah, they've just got some psychic paper kicking around. If you had, if you had psychic paper, mm-hmm. would you do anything with it? Probably. Yeah, I don't have anything. I'm like yearning to do with psychic paper right at this second. But it would be handy to have, though. Yeah. I'll tell you what I would like, though, from Doctor Who is a sonic screwdriver. Yeah. It's a, what this is, is it's a screwdriver, but it does things. You press a button and it opens things, or blasts things, or basically whatever you want it to do. Unless you're under extreme duress, in which case it will not work on whatever you're trying to use it on. So you can only (laughs) use it when you're calm and the plot does not demand you get through a door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Makes a fun buzzing sound. (gasps) Yep. (laughs) So that would be pretty sick. Yep, yeah. I feel like I could find a use for a psychic paper. Yeah. Do all the doctors have that? I think so. I think it's a it's an invention of the new series. But I haven't seen them use it for a while. No. But they a lot of them were the first couple were used. First it. couple used it a yeah. lot. Maybe maybe they just dropped it. Yeah. In a puddle and were like, oh, oh, oh shorted well. that out. Because sometimes the sonic screwdriver breaks and they have to do something with it. Yeah. Like the most recent one she had to fix it or make a new one. So we gotta like restyle it. Maybe the doctor just ran out of psychic paper stuff. Maybe it's like post-it notes. <laughs> You've got like, you can pull them off. Yeah. But eventually you're gonna run out. You gotta go to the, the psychic paper supply store and get a new chunk of post-it note. Yeah and they're like, sorry we're out, you have to wait. But if you're a time traveller that's not a problem. You can yeah. just be like, alright, I'm gonna go back to a time where you had it, or back in the future when you will have it. But you do need a time machine that is a little bit more um, on the mark than the TARDIS tends to be. Mm. See, the Doctor seems to struggle with fine-tuned control. Yes. Be like, oh, well, our psychic paper will be back in stock next week, and then, you know, the Doctor's like, great, and they turn on the TARDIS, and, and suddenly they're in the middle of the collapsing universe, because they've overshot drastically. If I was a doctor, and that had happened to me, if it was like, okay, yeah, we'll come back in a week, I'd be like, you know what, I need a break. Me time, mm-hmm. I'm just going to take a holiday in this time and place. In the psychic paper warehouse. On Mercury. Yeah. Like, sure. But you just know that, like, the little little robots that, like, the Roombas that clean the psychic paper warehouse are are undergoing some sort of horrible technological failure and are on the brink of revolt. Yeah, that's the thing. The Doctor <laughs> can't go anywhere that's normal. At least we don't see those episodes. We don't see 
Okay, we don't. We never see them stop and go to a supermarket. No. But the doctor definitely eats. Yeah. And takes companions along. And the companions 100% eat. Mm-hmm. So they've got to stop off at like a Tesco's or something. They've got to stop off and get food. Yeah. Um, and they can't be eating out all the time because that's just not healthy. No, it's not. So there must be a kitchen on board, mm-hmm. the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And... So, that's what I want to see. I I want to write an episode where the Doctor's like, alright, everyone, um, bit of a boring trip. I know everyone wants to go to uh, Dinosaur Times. We'll do dinosaurs later, I promise, but we're out of milk. We're out of eggs. (laughs) We're out of the essentials, and we need to stock up. So, I'm just going to pop to, let's say... Uh, Moon Walmart, <laughs> which is the best stocked yeah supermarket in time and space, mm-hmm. and um, it's very Earth centric of me assuming that the, our Moon would have the best stocked supermarket. But let's just say it does, and then it's like a normal supermarket episode, but there's something vaguely insidious. But no, I think it wants to, I want to be a low stakes one, but still be set in a in a space supermarket. Just all the eggs are hatching with alien critters, like um. Like the prawn cracker scene in, in It Chapter 2. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly like that. And they're just all these, like, half-formed birds just crawling <laughs> around in the Walmart. And they're not, like, dangerous, but they are kind of creepy. And they just have to kind of dodge them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, moving And also the, the chip and pin machines are really passive-aggressive. Yeah. They're not evil, they're just kind of dicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low stakes, Doctor Who. Tune in next week (laughs) for the spin-off series. And I think we need some low stakes Doctor Who. Like, all all these time travel things, it's like the fate of the future, the fate of humanity rests on blah 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 blah. The fate of whether or not I can make an omelette rests on whether I can find eggs yeah. that aren't full of alien creatures. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the low point of that episode is the Doctor's like, fuck, I guess we'll just have beans on toast instead. Yeah. Like, we'll get eggs in a, some, somewhere and sometime else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll, try, we'll try the Mars Walmart. Maybe, but then, but then, but then the Mars Walmart also is like, well, there's, I've heard there's gonna, there's a recall. Mm-hmm. People on, on Moon Walmart says there's a recall on Space Eggs, so. And the episode is called Space Eggs, Total Recall. When I was a lad, I ordered <laughs> Space Eggs every morning to help me get large. Now that I'm grown, I eat five dozen Space Eggs. <laughs> And now I have tentacles. <laughs> That's uh, a character I like to call Space Gaston. <laughs> From Space Beauty and the Space Beast. No one oozes like Gaston. No one boozes like Gaston. <laughs> no one's got a dorsal fin on his back like Gaston. <laughs> yeah, because Gaston started off a human... <laughs> And then the more space eggs he eats, the more corrupt space eggs he consumes. Yeah. And they just do things to his body. Yeah. He's got, like, his back is covered with eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> and he rattles when he walks and no one knows why. 
like I'd still tap that. <laughs> and then he gets roughly the size of a barge. Yeah. It is possible when you eat so many space eggs. Yep. Space barge. <laughs> He's seaworthy by the end. Yeah. And then the, the, the follow-up to Space Egg's Total Recall, part two of that episode, because it's a two-parter in low-stakes Doctor Who, <laughs> is called Gaston's Revenge. <laughs> um, if you're listening to this episode and you are not familiar with uh, Doctor Who and Beauty and the Beast, all you need to know to listen back and understand this bit is Doctor Who is a time-traveling alien who has a time and space machine similar to Bill and Ted. And uh, Gaston, all you need to know about him is that he loves eggs. Yeah, that's his only characteristic. He eats so many eggs. It's a bit puzzling as to why he's in the movie, only talking about eggs the whole time. But, you know, there you go. People say he's a villain. I'm like, well, he's keeping the... uh, agricultural industry in the town of Bloat with his, with his with his egg purchasing habits. He certainly is, but he doesn't listen to recalls. <laughs> and you gotta do that's a public health issue. Yeah. Even if you really want those eggs, if there's a chance that there's uh, alien babies inside of them, mm-hmm. leave it be. Yeah. Until they get tested and approved yeah. by... Your local regulatory body. By the space FDA. Yeah. <laughs> space FDA. <laughs> for, for those of you who aren't hip with science fiction, the way you write science fiction is you just take normal things and you put the word space in front of them. Um, but it has to be everything. You've got to be consistent. Uh, yeah. So, That's like, what I've been saying, like, Space Walmart. Yeah, and, like, we're not sitting on the couch, we're sitting on the space couch. And you're not, you know, getting cereal, you're getting space cereal. Exactly. And that's what world building is. Exactly, we're recording a space podcast. Mm-hmm, and when characters talk to each other, they can't say, you're my friend, they have to say, you're my space friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they try and make the same thing apply with time travel, too. It's like, you're my time friend. Yeah. This is my time sofa, my time podcast, but it's not as easy to conceptualize as, as the space versions. Oh, it's true. Even though they're both very valid streams of existence. And you might say to us now, Shannon and Elise, I watched every episode of The X-Files, and they don't call each other Space Mulder and Space Scully. But then think back to yourself, don't they? (laughs) How long has it really been since you've seen the X-Files? Yeah, maybe you got so used to hearing them say everything was a space version of something that you just stopped processing the word space. Yeah. It's like how at the moment we all say, oh, pass me the Corona milk. Yeah. And we're going to the Corona shop. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's a bit cold out and I put on my corona jacket. Yeah. And because we're talking about it so much, it's kind of like you don't hear the word corona anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's why every word in every script of the X-Files is hyphenated with the word space. Yeah. 
Also, if you're like, there's there's specifications in this too. If you're on an alien planet, mm-hmm. call everything alien something. Yeah. Not just the aliens themselves. Oh, look at this alien rock. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is an alien bicycle. And this is why, um, in the the great sci-fi film Star Wars, he's not Space Luke Skywalker. He's Alien Luke, Alien Skywalker. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's taking place on an alien planet. And you hear the word alien so much that you kind of blank it out. That's why everyone's incorrectly calling him Luke Skywalker. Yeah. You're missing out a lot of his name there. You're really missing out the fact that he is called Alien Luke, Alien Skywalker. Yeah. If you look at the credits, that's what he's credited as. Yeah, and he wields an alien lightsaber. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as opposed to lightsabers that we have on planet Earth. Exactly. It's to distinguish that. Yes. Then you gotta be specific. Mm Mm-hmm. Else we're just gonna forget what genre we're in. Yeah. We're gonna be like, hang on, what is a gangster film? No, it's a space film. Because when you're when you're reading a horror story, you think you don't you don't write, I wanna go to the hotel. You write, I wanna go to the ghost hotel. Yeah. Send me to the monster house. <laughs> Send me to the monster house sounds like <laughs> the name of your first album, the name of your EP. Yeah. Send me to the Hey, I'm Shannon Payne. Spelt like pain as in inflicting pain. Yeah. Send and this is Welcome to the Monster House. <laughs> Send me to the Monster Send House. Send me to the Monster House. Um, I think it's really it's really important to remember these things uh, to differentiate your genres. Yeah. So I saw a weird light in the sky. I'm not even kidding. It's gone now. It's interesting because it's, it's, uh, it's cloudy. Mm. But above the clouds... There was a very bright white light that went across the sky. They're on to us. Um, do you reckon I just saw a SpaceX? Oh, maybe. Which is um, terminology for space sex. <laughs> <laughs> when people say that they saw a SpaceX in the sky, they just saw some people doing doing the nasty up in up in the sky. Yeah, that's uh. From space, Elon Space Musk. He put it up in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was cursed, blurst, or blessed? You know, I kind of forgot that we watched a movie. <laughs> kind of forgot that we were talking about a movie. Ah, uh, blessed. Did you say? Did you say blessed? No, I said blessed. Okay. I thought you'd done a crime just then. Was it a crime when we said Jumanji was blessed? It was unprecedented. It was unprecedented. But so is fucking everything now. It's true. You call everything unprecedented, starts to become, starts to sound mighty fucking precedented. (laughs) And climate science, Arctic scientists, Mm -hmm. we had that word first. Yeah. You heard me, I was talking about unprecedented this, unprecedented that every other day. Now it's become commonplace. But I I do think this is a blessed movie. I had a very good time. I found it very charming. I mm-hmm. liked the characters. Mm-hmm. I liked how scattergun they were with their approach to collecting people from time. Yeah. I liked how the stakes were like pretty low, actually. Yeah. And um, it's not blessed because, and I won't go into specifics. They do say something mm. at one in one scene 
that made us both go, <gasps> yeah. Uh, so if you want to watch the movie and find it for yourself, be our guest. Like, but yeah. I'm not going to say what it was. Yeah. What about you? I, I agree. I agree. I think this movie is blurst. Um, I would recommend it. I might watch the sequel. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I liked that all of the historical figures were like immediately on board because as soon as they sort of snagged Billy the Kid, I thought it would just be a lot of tiresome, like trying to find historical figures deliberately causing shit. Mm. I think it's very funny that all the shit they caused was completely inadvertent. And I also like that when they collect people from time and bring them from the future, even though they're kind of, it seems like they might be creating a timeline where that person ceases to exist because they've been just taken on a ship to the future. Nothing has changed about our present. Um, they're just going on like a random little jaunt and now they're off. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's quite refreshing. Yeah. Because often time travel stories get caught in the mire of the implications. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very interesting and in its own right. <laughs> but it's quite refreshing to see a movie just fully not give a shit. Yeah. They're About the laws of time. Grabbing people left and right, shoving them into a time machine. Yeah. And I, I like that all of the historical figures immediately get on board with the kidnapping plot. Yeah. About 45 seconds after themselves being kidnapped. Yeah, it makes you wonder what kind of pitch they're being given inside the time machine. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the people like Socrates who don't speak English at yeah. all. Um, and we're given no indication that, that anyone's able to translate for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a breath of fresh air. Take care. Enjoy our space podcast. You can find us on everywhere you get your space podcasts. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs>